Hello, and welcome to PodCash, the portable professional development podcast from Cash. My name's Dawn, and I'm the editor at cashalumni.org.uk. This week's episode is one that we have recorded under lockdown, and we're getting a little bit better at it now, so the episode doesn't really need much more of an introduction to this. I'll let the speakers introduce themselves. Take it away, guys. So I'm Louise Dalton uh, and I'm a clinical psychologist and I have worked in the NHS for over 20 years but now I'm working as a a member of the research team at the University of Oxford. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Rapper and I'm a senior postdoctoral researcher in the child and adolescent psychiatry team based at the University of Oxford. Excellent. Thank you all very much. And they both sound like really exciting job titles. It sounds like you're getting to do some really interesting stuff. Um, so what is it that um, that, that you are sort of both involved in together? What is the project that, that you're working on at the same time? So we're really excited that um, the Department of Psychiatry in Oxford has joined forces with the Palix Foundation. That's a private philanthropic organisation based in Alberta in Canada. Um, to join forces to share the science of how children's brains develop and the impact that that has on their lifelong physical and mental health. Um, So the Brain Story is a whole suite of resources that have been developed in collaboration with the Centre on the Developing Child in Harvard and the Frameworks Institute in North America. Um, And this is really putting together, I guess, a story about how children's brains develop from the antenatal period and then very, very rapidly in the first few weeks and months of life, but also looking kind of further further ahead in terms of why that's so important and also the importance of the kind of main caretakers who are looking after the child in terms of providing that environment that's nurturing and enriching to help the child fulfill their potential um, but also develop good social and emotional regulation skills that will help them with their learning and later development Um, but also really putting the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together I think in terms of why the early years are so important but also helping people understand how that translates to physical and mental health outcomes in adulthood So there's quite a lot of ideas around kind of ACEs and the neuroscience underlying child development and the effects of toxic stress. Um, But it's really a story that has been made accessible by using a series of metaphors to explain quite complex scientific concepts in a way that makes sense to everybody. So they've been put together as short animations to explain some of the key concepts, for example, around what as um, researchers we would call contingent responsiveness, but they've badged as serve and return, a bit like a tennis match in terms of that early interaction between an infant and their caretaker. Um, or things like executive function skills, so that's um, planning, short-term memory, inhibitory control, and that's been described as air traffic control at a busy airport. So again, there's a series of short animations that are the kind of things that you can imagine playing um, on a screen in a GP's waiting area. Um, they're really kind of public health messages trying to help members of the general public understand what's important in terms of children's development and what they can do to support their children, whoever it's their own children or other children kind of in their family with those aspects of their development. But crucially, it's not just about the early years, it's also explaining the mechanisms by which that will have an impact on children as they grow up. And of course, we all have our own brain story. So thinking about our own experiences and how that impacts on us as adults. That was really, really interesting. Um, and it sounds like the stuff that you are looking at sort of covers 
an, an awful lot of stuff. Yeah, so I suppose um, what the brain story does is it's um, it's explaining those absolutely key, crucial um, mechanisms that are operating and processes that are occurring um, from in utero to, um, well, throughout the whole of your life. Um, so just trying to package those into really easy to understand those complicated um, neural processes in a way that um, is relevant for everybody. So um, the reason why we were so excited about collaborating with the Palix Foundation is that absolutely fundamental that anyone who is um, officially in a professional capacity working with children understands this core story because it's the reason. Um, so when you do go on through certain courses and learn more about different aspects, this is actually the core underpinnings of all of those processes like Louise described. So not only do we have these, you know, nice metaphors all packaged into an easy un to understand way, for professionals there is a um, free online course as well, which I think would very much complement a lot of the um, amazing um, courses that Cash offers, because it just goes into a bit more detail than presented by um, the basically the world leaders in psychiatry, psychology and neuroscience in explaining those core, that core story, but a much more fundamental experimental level. One of the things I thought was really interesting is that, and Louise, you mentioned ACEs, and obviously that, that we know that's adverse childhood experiences, um, but um, Elizabeth, you said that one of the good things about the brain story is that it helps people to sort of work backwards and look at things that might have affected them earlier in their life. In that way it's a story for everybody because whether we're working with children or whether we're working with adults or whether we're working with ad older adults everybody has a brain story and if we're working with children undoubtedly we're working with their parents as well so it really does give us an understanding of perhaps why people are responding in the way that they are, why they're acting in the way that they are, why they might be acting in a way that feels quite self-defeating but actually it helps us to understand why somebody might be behaving in that way and I think perhaps gives us more knowledge and potentially more compassion and insight into what the factors might be that mean that a family is struggling in a particular way or an adult's struggling to manage their own life circumstances in a particular way. So I think that one of the strong, I guess one of the most powerful aspects of the brain story is it also in that terms of the uh, brain story certification course it pulls together all these different threads that we might have heard a little bit about aces or we might have heard a little bit about childhood trauma we might have heard a little bit about neuroscience might know a tiny bit about addiction or mental health difficulties and it really pulls all of those threads together so that we can understand how they fit together um, and how that affects us in our lifelong journey so i think for me it's about really synthesizing that knowledge in a way that does make it easy to understand and helps us to put all those little components together rather than having sort of isolated bits of knowledge. It helps us kind of really pull it together and think, right, now I get it, now I understand how all these different factors impact and why they're important. And um, what's really key and the reason why um, the brain story really speaks to our work, which we've been doing for X number of years, is that it's very much non-stigmatising and non-blaming. So I think um, there is a lot, especially in the media and the way people talk about certain um, groups of individuals that may be struggling to do certain things that actually, instead of saying, oh, it's because they just can't get their 
stuff all together and they never make it on time for appointments or they're always late or the children never have the right equipment when they get to school it's not about that it's about trying to understand you know perhaps families that do struggle to get their children on time um, instead of being um, derogatory or blaming them for just not being able to cope like the rest of us to actually look at that family and think you know what you know it's been very difficult for that mother or father or both to get their children to school on time but you know what they have got them there to school they have managed to get them and actually congratulate them for even getting there because it is hard and that's all to do with executive functioning which we you know planning ahead and um, thinking about what's about to happen next all those skills get learnt very very early on in life and then again um, during adolescence you can develop them over time in adulthood but it's really really set in those early years so understanding that as just a, a human being to another human being just makes everyone treat each other a little bit differently and that's what's so powerful about that and why we like it so much because in psychiatry we're all thinking about you know it's it why are we like the way we are and it shouldn't people shouldn't be blamed or just chastised for not performing the same way as everybody else so that's what's really important i'd never considered my own sort of background or the my own childhood and how that had affected who i became and, and my reaction to things and um, so things that scare me that probably shouldn't scare us like having meetings with important people who work for Oxford University and other <laughs> things, you know, like all of those like sort of hang-ups that we all carry around with us all of the time um, and it's only really been since I started to look at self-regulation and the stuff that is around for early years and speaking to um, practitioners about neuroscience and things that I realised that actually the way I react to some situations is probably not helpful for the situation itself um, but that's because of the way that my brain's been wired and the sort of way that you just, it happens and it sort of helped me to take a step back and to think, oh actually that's not him, it's me. And if I'd said it this way or if I'd approached it differently, I would have gotten a different reaction and sort of to, to play with how I respond to things a bit better. Do you think the brain story and people having a bit more of an understanding as to how their own brain has developed um, might be helpful for sort of practitioners looking to do reflection or to, to to sort of embed a bit more of that reflection into their practice? I mean, certainly we all have our own brain story um, and absolutely, I think the, the feedback from people, particularly in Canada, where the brain story has really, I guess, kind of been growing and evolving for quite a number of years now the feedback from people who've completed the brain stories certification course is very much that it's helped them understand more about themselves and about the impact of their own early experiences on how they are now as as adults I probably wouldn't say it's a huge it's, it's a, there's a huge amount of self-reflection within the brain story certification course um i think it's probably something that you might pick up as you go along yeah no absolutely i think what you could what it does do which is slightly different but uses the same word as self-reflection is that once you know more about the core story that you can actually reflect on how you can support families that you meet and um how so one of the, so the core story is that your brains are built over time um, and there is this amazing game which we would have loved to have played and we could have done a really lovely 
video for you guys to have a look at, although there is some online called the Brain Architecture Game. What happens is groups of um, five to six of you um, basically build a brain using pipe cleaners and straws. And uh, you have dice and cards and you're basically building a um, child's brain over the first um, six to seven years of their life. So you can imagine a pipe cleaner isn't that great building material and um, but once you put that um, uh, pipe cleaner through a straw it suddenly becomes a lot stronger and therefore you can build your brain taller and stronger and um, as things happen during this child's life which you get dealt cards to tell you so for instance um, domestic violence or um, parents lose their jobs you can imagine that if it's a brain that's got lots of straws and lots of pipe cleaners that it will probably um, be stronger to resist um, that impact compared to a brain that potentially is just built of um, uh, pipe cleaners so going back to the self-reflection what the, that game does help you do as a practitioner and this gets played by everybody from parents to practitioners and healthcare professionals and any professional is that you look and you think okay how could I be a straw for the people I work with and so in that way the brain story does give you self-reflection but in a slightly different way to what you were talking about but it definitely does just you can sit back and think okay I know this family this is what's been going on with them is there something I can give them that would be a straw for them is it that I refer them to a counselling service is it that I am that straw is it that there's a teacher in that child's school that I should talk to and they could become a straw so in that way it does do self-reflection but more in a professional um, practice sense yeah and I think that, yeah that is that is what I've found helpful about some of the resources that I've looked at um, and I think just having that knowledge as to this is how this works eventually does make you sort of go oh hang on this week is mental health awareness week but the theme of this year's mental health awareness week is kindness um do, do you think that it's true that being kind um is quite a an important sort of positive way to just build bits of, of neurology for children and build help them to build their brain in a way that is going to be as, as strong as it can and to, to face those challenges. Absolutely I mean I think linking back to the brain architecture game that Elizabeth was just describing actually about being kind both to ourselves and as well as to other people is crucially important in terms of that idea of being a straw actually you know somebody who's working on reception could by simply by being kind acknowledging that actually somebody might be late for their appointment and they might not quite have brought all the right paperwork with them but actually they've managed to get there potentially with several children in tow actually is a huge achievement for some people because of their brain architecture which makes those planning skills so so difficult actually the kindness of acknowledging the efforts that someone's got gone to can make a huge difference to that person and really help someone to be a straw in potentially quite a difficult situation um, so I think I would very much extend that analogy to say actually kindness is, is very much part of a, a straw um, but also we need to again linking back to your earlier point about self-reflection again about being kind to ourselves as well and perhaps recognizing that the impact that our own early experiences have had on our own brain development and being kind to ourselves in terms of acknowledging why we might find particular diff situations difficult or challenging or harder than other people um, so I, yeah i would absolutely echo that that kindness is, is crucial to our mental health um, and also being kind 
to other people is also good for our own mental health as well. Thanks. Um, and I think that being kind to yourself piece is, is, is really important. Um, I'm not very good at it um, and I'm trying to get better at it. Um, but I think in the current circumstances that, that people find themselves in, kindness is sometimes a little bit more difficult, especially to yourself. Um, I think there's a lot of people feeling pressure to to achieve a lot because they've been told that they've got lots of extra time. Um, and ch- children as well, you know, you know when you do have time because you're not at school or you're not doing these things. Um, is there a danger in putting that sort of pressure on people, um, including children, um, in this sort of circumstance where although we may be time rich, um, our brains have an awful lot to cope with anyway um, because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Yeah, so I guess one of the metaphors that the brain story uses is the resilience scale um, in a very simplistic way to describe it, but it's there's a lovely animation on the website for people to have a look at. Um, this is a scale where we've got um, negative events which are difficult, so toxic stress, that would be things happening in our environment, in our families, at school, which are making things more difficult on one side. And then on the other side of the scale, we've got positive supports. So that would be the straws that we've talked about, but that would also be having um, supportive care ta- caregivers, um, supportive staff at school, in nursery, in the community. So again, really thinking about what we've got on both sides of the balance. And I think what's really important is, um, although we're calling it a scale, it's a set of scales, as in weighing scales. And I think that's where people get confused and people think of a scale as say naught to 10. When we talk about the resilience scale, we are talking about the old fashioned, um, how you would weigh out flour on one side and put a weight on the other. So when Louise is talking about positive events and negative events, then they are on either side of the scale. And ideally you would like to have your positive side um, um, up in the sky because therefore you are um, are feeling very resilient in that um, process. Or if there was lots of um, bad things happening, um, the pandemic being one of them, then that would push that back down. And then your um, more negative experiences in the way you're feeling would be um, tipping the scales the other way. So I think there is, you're absolutely right. Louise and I do get very, um, I suppose a bit, well, no, we do, we get very frustrated when I think the word resilience gets banded around far too much, like you say. And actually what we're talking about is that it's a very movable, it's not set in stone. It depends on what's going on in your life. It depends what positive supports you have. It depends a bit on how your genetics were involved right at the very beginning, but it's not just about genetics. It's about your experiences. So you're tipping the scales either way. So that's when we're talking about resilience, it's very much in a a set of scales resilience, not a set naught to 10 or naught to 100 like a thermometer. Um, And just being aware at the moment that I think a lot of everybody's emotional and kind of physical energy is taken up with dealing with the current pandemic, which is going to be weighing down for everybody um, on the kind of the negative side in terms of those experiences. 
And so I think what we have to do is try and balance those out with more positives. We can't remove all of the stress about the current restrictions and the social distancing and, and so on, or the lack of routine and structure that's so important, particularly for children. But what we need to do is counterbalance those with, with positives. Um, so in terms of, I guess, coming back to your question about the, the added pressure of all these things that we should be doing, I think generally shoulds and ought tos can be quite unhelpful for our mental health um, at the best of times. Um, and I think we do need to acknowledge the impact that the general situation is having on, on all our resilience, really, how much kind of emotional space we've got to be coping, you know, with, I guess, coping with being kind of you know, in close proximity to our nearest and dearest in, in the home. But actually, that's not something that most of us are used to. We're used to be going out a bit more. We're used to having, you know, a wider social network and so on. And actually, it's about small things can feel much larger when you're all kind of enclosed in, in one space. So I think actually, for me, realistically, it's about recognising that survival is OK. And actually, if we're all getting through this, and still loving one another and still having good relationships at the end of it, I will absolutely take that as a win. And no, I haven't learned any new languages um, and I haven't really got, I haven't really got any fitter um, and I haven't been doing anything, anything new. It's also just about reducing that pressure on ourselves and acknowledging what we are doing well and also how hard some of the small changes are to our daily life are for us emotionally and practically um, rather than feeling that we've got lots and lots of shoulds and shoulds and ought tos. Um, that's probably not a terribly scientific answer to your question, but I think that's my kind of pragmatic answer to um, I think it'll be a very reassuring answer to that question um, for a lot of people listening who are feeling that pressure to, to better themselves and to, to, to start their side hustle during this. Um, yeah. I think the, idea I think the reality is that everyone doesn't have more time and I do think that that is coming through a bit more now in the media and how people are talking to each other because in fact there's very few people that have uh, do have more time unless you are furloughed but even then you could have two three or even one child and that still takes up all of your time and I think what is really important and something that's very um, important to Louise and I's work as well which is all linked with the brain story and understanding and going back to your question about kindness so what is really important is that um, when we think about children in particular that the conversations we're having with children are very honest and they are very authentic when it comes to emotional things so what seems to be happening more and more is and 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 we know this this is a lot of our other research within our groups that we do is that people want to protect their children from any form of distress or upset which is completely understandable but actually in this pandemic we need to be talking to our children more about you know I think most children know what Covid is they know it's a virus but actually that it's difficult for all of us so again going to that you know we all have our own brain story we've all got these our resilience is being pushed one way and the other but actually Actually, as a family, um, whether that be a biological family or um, even just friends who are living in a house together, that you all share how hard this is and how emotionally difficult it is and share those feelings with your children and your friends. And that is um, really reassuring for everybody. So nobody's pretending and nobody is, especially with children, they can sometimes 
construct their own reality for what's going on because nobody wants to upset them by saying you know I talk to my children often by saying this is really hard I'm not very happy today either I'd like to go and see my friends and so it must be very difficult for you and modeling that kind of conversation and that authenticity is absolutely crucial for psychological well-being in children and in adults so I think yeah, going back to your kindness thing, it's it's about acknowledging this is difficult. There are of course times when this is lovely, when we're all together and the sun's shining, but this isn't normal life and everyone needs to acknowledge that and, and talk about it. And I think kind of absolutely I would agree with everything Elizabeth said and I think also linking it back to one of the brain story metaphors is around the idea of serve and return or contingent responsiveness and actually that is very difficult when as adults we're preoccupied with the safety of perhaps older members of our family or what's happening with our job. Before you continue to explain this bit could you tell us what either of those fancy terms you just used mean? So serve and return is another way of describing contingent responsiveness. So what we're talking about there is the reciprocal relationship between an infant and somebody who's playing with them. So when the baby makes a sound, baby smiles or gurgles or starts to babble, then the caregiver at that point responds back with their eye contact echoing back, ooh, what's happening? to somehow acknowledge and mark what the infant's doing and then the infant knows that the person they're playing with has heard them and is seeing them and so responds. Again, if we think about serving a tennis ball by the child making that initial approach to the adult with the sound or vocalisation or smile, it's like throwing the tennis ball and hitting it over the net and then the adult then picks it up and returns it. So that's the idea of serve and return which is just an easier way of, of talking about continued responsiveness. So if we're thinking about that, I guess, as a caretaker at that point, in order to return the child's serve, you need to be watching the ball, you need to be able to move around a bit, you need need to be able to, to know when the child's served at you. That's much, much harder to do if you're preoccupied, perhaps with the concerns about the health of an older member of your family or about financial concerns, job security, or just the real practicalities of living when everyone's kind of locked down as we are at the moment. So again, it makes it much, much harder to be responsive in that serve and return tennis game when we're all worrying about the current pandemic. And that's why I would really echo what Elizabeth said, that it's so, so important that we're we're honest with children about what's happening so that they don't start blaming themselves or think that it's something that they've done or they don't see kind of this mysterious change in their adults behavior as a degree of threat which and then have no understanding of what that threat is it's really about trying to explain it to children and as Liz said really modeling this is how we talk about feelings this is how we can share feelings and actually the benefits of doing that because Another area of research that we've been very involved with is very much around children who have a life-threatening condition themselves or their parents have a life-threatening condition. And the research shows that actually parents are very good about talking about facts um, and explaining things in quite a sort of a, a medical or technical way, but are much, find it much harder to share their own feelings about it. They want their children to share their feelings about what's going on, but don't provide a kind of an example or a model of how you might do that and children really need us as adults to lead by example in terms of talking about our feelings talking about how things are difficult and then also saying you know when I'm feeling really sad or when I'm feeling really scared about things this is what we could do this is what I find helpful so that children again can start to learn those skills for themselves oh well maybe I'll try that or if I talk to mum or dad and tell them how I'm feeling they might help me 
think about what I can do in terms of those emotional regulation skills. And that of course will add to that positive supports on the resilience scale so children will be more resilient on that scale if their parents are providing that model for them so it kind it all ties in especially in this pandemic all the brain the core story just provides a, another way of kind of explaining how this is affecting people but also if we all deal with things in um in a certain with a certain level of understanding that actually this is not going to become a toxic stress event um if we're all talking about it and understanding these serve and return interactions um etc so um it's a nice way to try and frame it as well i think that that makes a lot more sense to me after you've you've both explained it um i definitely grew up in a household where i was encouraged to share but modeling was very much pretend everything's okay and it will be. There are lots of people my age that grew up um, and sort of were shaped from their teens um, by virtual communication and social media um, where the predominant theme is to present the life that you want rather than maybe reflecting the life that you've actually got. Um, Do you think that that has that same negative impact of reinforcing that we really shouldn't talk about the things that are worrying us or that make us sad or that are struggles because really we should only be sharing the wins because that's how you get ahead. Yeah I think that's one of the major challenges of social media is that it enables us to curate the life that we want to present to other people Um, and nobody posts pictures of the fact that they're um, taking the bins out again or I'm now wiping the floor up again or all the uh, very unglamorous boring parts of my day Um, and absolutely I think that can yeah we're definitely all sat in the tidiest parts of our houses right now (laughs) (laughs) you I haven't got my camera you have no idea Um, yeah yeah absolutely and I think that um you know, we have to, when we're looking at social media, we have to maintain a kind of a an awareness that actually people are presenting what they want us to see um, and they're absolutely not presenting the, the really difficult bits. Social media does a lot of good. I, am, I can't say, it. so for instance, mental health, good mental health or poor mental health is much more talked about now because of social media. I think social media plays an absolute crucial role in everybody's lives now and it shouldn't be dismissed, but it's exactly right what you both are saying in the fact that it can, um, if you are suffering from poor mental health, that social media can be quite damaging and can almost reinforce though your anxiety or your depression in some way. but yes, I still we still believe that social media does play a crucial role and does a lot of good as well. But um, yeah, it has to. We all do it. We all look. Louise and I always looking at our Twitter accounts and how not our personal ones, but our work one, and that is really important to us. And we know that that's the way information gets out there. So we know that it plays a role. But yes. it's very hard if you are suffering from a mental health disorder to kind of disassociate the what we're talking about of what we see is real and not real. Things like um, the brain story and actually just being able to understand how things impact on how the brain develops or how we make neural pathways and connections um, might actually be a good way for people to be able to support their children with stuff like using the internet and social media and, and how to 
play with that and, and, and assess it um, because they'll be able to look at maybe what impact that information or that time is having um, on children and their fast or, or different things. Parenting does play a crucial role so yes I suppose understanding how what you do with your children um, as a parent begins that, that pathway and those neural connections of how to deal with social media or how to deal with negative feelings and emotions is definitely the role of a parent or not just a parent but anyone that comes into contact with a child and I think that's what's really important for us as well going back to what I was talking about at the beginning about stigma and blaming is that actually everyone that comes in contact with a child in the community has a role to play in building a child's brain which is very much the the core story of the brain story so yeah aunties aunties are very very important dawn um and (laughs) one of the the main messages from the brain story really is that it's around building our community and the role that we all play in communities to building not only our own children's brains but the brains of you know all the members of our community around us my sister's very upset that I'll only ever be an auntie because she feels like she's being robbed because she's made me an auntie and I get to do all of the nice things and she <laughs> has to be a mom and I don't. Um, but one of the things that you've both mentioned um, that I wanted to ask you about is that you've both mentioned the word resilience um, and the resilience scale. And um, I think there's a lot of people um, who hear the word resilience a lot um, and they may have been told that they're not very resilient or that their children aren't very resilient Um, but for me there's a bit of a misunderstanding about what resilience is or what it means. Um, The brain story sounds like um, because of the way that it gives people an understanding of, of how the brain grows and how it works and sort of where things develop that it'll help people to understand what resilience actually is and how we build resilience yes definitely so the resilience scale that we've already mentioned um i talked about the um negative events so toxic stress difficult challenges that we have in life on one side of the scale and then the positive supports on the other side the key thing that i didn't mention earlier is the fulcrum so that's essentially the balance point of the scale Um, and if you think about sliding that either to the left or the right that makes a big difference in terms of i guess the, the power and influence that either the positive events or the negative events have on either side and how we shift that fulcrum is around how we develop skills and abilities so again we're thinking about that scale we can either ideally take away some of the negative toxic stress or we can add more positive supports or we can develop more skills and abilities to shift the fulcrum and which will then say in turn affect how those positive and negative events balance so there's lots in the brain story that I guess talks to the idea of resilience and very much that resilience is something which is changes over time in response to what else is going on in our life but also provides some very concrete ideas about actually what we need to do to try and improve our resilience but I think it also explains at times why we might feel that our resilience is limited and um, again coming back to that idea at the moment we've all got lots of you know quite a lot of extra pressure like downward pressure in terms of kind of the negative events of all the consequences of, of the covid pandemic um which means that we need more positives on the other side to balance it out and um, before we even start thinking about moving the fulcrum 
No, that's excellent because I think that there are people who, who get quite anxious about um, resilience um, and actually that if um, I know that I once talked to someone who had been given some feedback in a work one-to-one that they weren't very resilient um, but they felt like that was a failing of theirs and um, so it's, it's great that there are tools there to help people to sort of understand that and to, to really get what people are talking about when they talk about supporting children to become more resilient or or grown up um, any of those things and yeah, I think that those... your resilience isn't that's it if someone says which isn't very helpful in a one-to-one that they're not very resilient well that's it then you're never going to be resilient it's yeah. absolutely the opposite of that resilience is this movable dynamic process that and then that again takes the the stigma and the shame or anything to do with you know your your poor friend thinking they're not very resilient well that's fine maybe she wasn't for that two minute period during that one event but you know it, it it's not it's not destined to be that forever and I think also actually it may be that she was being incredibly resilient it's just that the person didn't have any understanding of how many negatives she had she was kind of dealing with at that particular time how many negative experiences she was actually having to to offset with the positives um, and it was you know remarkable that she hadn't you know kind of completely gone, gone under with you know severe mental health difficulties at that point she might have been, been incredibly resilient it's just we need to know what's on the you know on the negative side of that set of scales that's amazing and I'm very conscious that I could talk to you both all day but I did only book um an hour into your calendars um is there anything that you think is the sort of what's the most important thing that you'd like people to take away from um the conversation that we've had this morning um and just in general about the work that you do and bring stories I think say the brain story is a story for everybody and that it's relevant whichever age group that you're working with if you come across people in your life then the brain story is relevant to you and also just to really emphasize that there is a whole wealth of resources on the website and they're all completely free there's lots of downloadable videos and learning cards as well as the in-depth certification course and so i think i'd really encourage people to to take a look Um, it's very very high quality and resources it's been put together by the big names in science but it's also accessible to people as well Um, but and most of all it's free i think people can't quite believe that it's free and i think ideally we we would love this to be knowledge that's held by everybody within the community so that we've got a shared language so we know what we're talking about in terms of serve and return or air traffic control or toxic stress so that's a shared language between people working in very different specialties very different professional groups and but also in terms of empowering everybody in the community to know why they might find particular things difficult um, and to understand what their brain story is so that as a community we can really think about actually how can we organize ourselves how can we organize services so that we can really support our own brain development and the brain development of um, children in our community thank you very much um you have mentioned that you have a work twitter account um how can people find you both so our website is www.oxfordbrainstory.org and we're tweeting regularly about all our different brain story activities at oxbrainstory 
We really would love to hear from people and we really would love to hear from um, other groups or even organisations on how we can help with um, disseminating the Brain Story resources. You know, people have got ideas about how the Brain Story might be relevant to the particular group that they're working with or thoughts about implementing it within their organisation specifically, then we'd really love to hear from them. We're really kind of um, really excited to hear from anybody who's um, thinking about how the brain story might be relevant to, to their work. Thank you so much for your time this morning. It's been absolutely lovely to talk to you both. Don't forget, if you've got some best practice or you'd like to share with us um, something great, um, you can get in touch with us at alumni at cash.org.uk. That's alumni, A-L-U-M-N-I, at cash, C-A-C-H-E echo.org.uk. And we'd love to speak to you. You can find us at the Cash Alumni website at www.cashalumni.org.uk or through the main Cash website for information about qualifications and other CPD at www.cachevaecho.org.uk. Thanks very much and until next time, take care.